All right. Thank you for coming back. That doesn't always happen. So uh, I feel very blessed tonight. And uh, I'm going to ask you to take your Bible with me. Turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And when you find your place, if you'd stand with me. Those that know me would say that I, I'm a little bit ornery myself, so I understood uh, what people were doing when they stared at me during the song service on purpose tonight, even though I wasn't in front of the words. I, I saw you. I recognized orneriness when I see it, and uh, I love it. Sarcasm is good. Let's keep it alive. It's healthy. I really do believe that. <clears throat> we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 tonight, and... And uh, joking aside, um, tonight, and God, if God continues to lead in the way that I believe He is throughout this uh, revival week, we're going to center around a subject that I believe is plaguing our country right now, and unfortunately, I believe it's creeping into homes and uh, churches, and it's always been a struggle, but it seems uh, uh, very pronounced right now. And that is, I, I'm concerned that people have lost sight of what God says about authority. And um, it's a real thing. Authority is, is a real thing. And, uh, and tonight, I'm just praying that God will get us uh, continually, uh, uh, continue to take us in that direction. We kind of started there this morning, how we were created to be a creation that was in authority, but we lost that in sin, and now we don't have the dominion that we had, but thank God it's okay because we see Jesus, and that makes all the difference. And so we're going to look in Luke chapter 7 tonight and uh, begin to read in verse number 1, and I'll ask you to follow along as I read out loud. Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this, For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed." For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel." And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Heavenly Father, I pray that You once again would use Your Word to 
uh, speak into our hearts. And Lord, we uh, claim no power of my own tonight, but Lord, I believe there's power in this book. As it's already been saying tonight, God's Word changes lives. We know that the Word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So God, we're asking that Your Word would dig into our lives tonight as uncomfortable as it might be. And God, would You show us what You find? And I'm confident, Lord, that You'll show us, but would You be willing? Would you help us to be willing to receive what You want to show us tonight? And be willing for you to make changes however you so desire. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. I want to give you just a little bit of background uh, tonight as we get started here. About the nation of Israel that existed at the time that Jesus Christ started His public ministry. It was... uh, It was a selfish nation, to just put it plainly. Um, It was ran by religious leaders who were possibly some of the most sinful people in all the nation, and yet they were always in the temple and around the temple, and uh, they claimed that they had uh, the uh, market on righteousness, and it was their job to determine whether other people were living righteously or not. But so many times when they came face to face with the Savior, the Savior pointed out that the ones who claimed to have the market on righteousness were the biggest sinners of all of them. It was these religious leaders that came and brought the woman who was taken in the very act of adultery. And I don't know, and I won't know till I get to heaven, what Jesus wrote in the dirt that day. But I can't wait to find out. Because whatever it was caused man after man to just quietly uh, dismiss themselves from the group so that when Jesus looked back up, He was able to say, Woman, where are thine accusers? And she said, There's no man, Lord. And uh, He said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now that doesn't mean that God didn't care about the, or or Jesus didn't care about the sin. He obviously did. And while He did not look at her with condemnation and her humility, He did not look at her and condone her sin either uh, by telling her to go and sin no more. But but can you imagine, here's these people that are trying to trap Jesus and, and in their own sinfulness, they bring another sinner before Jesus that, that He might join them in casting judgment, only to be found out that the judgment is for them. And that's the, that's the selfishness of the, of the leadership in the nation of Israel. As far as when it came to Jewish government at that time, they were the Jewish government. As far as they were allowed under the Roman government to operate, Because Israel at that time was a tributary to Rome. And so they were were under Rome's grasp as well. There would be a military presence that was stationed uh, all over Israel and all of the major cities. There would be garrisons. There uh, there, There would be units of 100 men that were called centuries. And over that 100 men 
would be a centurion is how he got his name. And uh, when, I, when I study out what a centurion was in the, in the Roman military, they were l- literally the glue that held Rome together. Because Rome ruled by force everywhere they were. And it was easy to recruit soldiers, but it was hard to count on these soldiers uh, to stay faithful. And so they would take the most faithful of men to Rome and they would put them uh, in, in units of a hundred and they would be over a hundred men to keep those men together, to, to, to unite them in a cause. And uh, they would make sure that these centurions had everything that they needed. They would have servants, or if we could just call it what it was in the Roman government, they would have slaves. The Roman government despised slaves. As a matter of fact, if you were to go back and read men like Aristotle and others, they would tell you that uh, a slave had no rights. A slave was not worth anything. Um, No matter what a master did to a slave, whatever the master decided would have the force of law just because he was the master, and they did not even consider slaves to be uh, at the dignity of human beings in that time. And, and, and as a matter of fact, one Roman writer uh, even historically recorded that when it came to agriculture, he was writing about agriculture, he said that there's basically three types of uh, equipment that's needed to do agriculture on a large scale. You needed uh, articulate equipment, inarticulate equipment, and you needed inanimate equipment. And what he meant by that was that the inanimate equipment was like the actual uh, equipment, like the plows and stuff like that. The inarticulate equipment was like cattle and oxen and things like that. And the articulate equipment was slaves. And the only thing that distinguished them from the animals uh, was that they could speak and you could actually communicate with them. And so they did not have a very high view of slaves. And so when we read about this centurion in Luke chapter 7, there's a host of differences about the character of this man. He doesn't have obviously the typical uh, uh, Roman mindset because he's got a servant that's very ill and, and, and near the point of death, and yet he cares enough about this servant that it, it seems like when you read the, the account in Matthew 8 and you read the account in Luke chapter 7, that this centurion's been trying to find some way in which his servant could be healed. I'm just telling you, that's not typical of a Roman leader. It wasn't typical to have sympathy for somebody like a slave or a servant that, that you were the master of, but he cared about his servants. As a matter of fact, I think about, this certainly wasn't true of all Roman centurions, but it might have been awesome to be under this guy's command. Because it, 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 he certainly gives the implication that he cared about people, and not just that, he cared about the subjects of Rome and wanted to do things for them. It's told to Jesus that he had even uh, personally built them a synagogue, the Jewish people, a synagogue in Capernaum. And, and time doesn't permit me to go into all of the evidence that says, This is not a typical Roman person. Uh, Rome wanted to squash societies under under a a, a very heavy rod and under their thumb. They wanted to squash rebellions. And rebellions often came through the religious systems that were in existing people. And it wasn't typical that a Roman would want to support 
a religious system of a conquered people. And yet here's this, this uh, centurion, and he's actually uh, uh, personally built a synagogue for, for these uh, people uh, that, were, uh, that were in Capernaum. And, and, and this is just, this is just a, an interesting man. But let me point out something. Jesus doesn't help this man's servant or help him. Uh, he doesn't help him because he's a good man. I just want you to think about that for a second. He doesn't respond to his plea because he's a good man. He doesn't respond to his plea because he's different than any other Roman centurion. As a matter of fact, he makes this very clear. God responds to this man for the same reason that he has responded to you and I. There's only one thing that gains the response of God, and that is faith. That's what God responds to. God responds to faith. This is evidenced all throughout the Word of God. You say, well, you mean the New Testament. No, I mean the entire Word of God. Because even Hebrews chapter 11 goes back and runs you through a timeline of how servants of God were able to see God do amazing things, and every time it equates it to the same thing because of their faith. By faith they saw this. By faith God did this. By faith God did this. If we want God to work in our life, we need to be people of faith. Meaning that we need to trust in Him. We need to trust that His way is best. We need to be looking unto Him. Hebrews chapter 12, and and it came up in a, a line in a song earlier this morning, but looking unto Jesus, we heard turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. Uh, uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's who our eyes need to be upon. And so when this, when this centurion had heard about Jesus, keep in mind, he's heard about Jesus from the Jewish people that live around him. Now Jesus is a Jew. He's in a Jewish city, occupied by a Roman uh, century, and there's a centurion there, And this man hears through the Jewish people about this Jewish man named Jesus who's been healing people and who performs miracles. And so it shouldn't baffle our minds that the way this outsider treats the Son of God, he treats the Son of God in the way that he's been told who the Son of God is. So the Jewish people in his area have told him, well, we hear about this man Jesus who might be able to do something for you, but probably not because, well, he's a Jew and you're a dirty, rotten Gentile. No, no offense. I mean, you built us a synagogue and we're really appreciative of that, but that doesn't change who you are. You're still a defiled Gentile. You're, you're still you're still outside the cusp of righteous society. And so he might help you, but it's doubtful because, you know, when we hear the stories about Jesus healing people, you know, he, he touches them or they touch his garment or all this kind of stuff, but here's the reality, he won't even enter into your house. He can't. Because... Just being in your house would defile him. Is this making anybody else sick? Because that's not our Savior at all. 
But that's obviously what the Jews have communicated to this man. And you know what's amazing to me is, through, through all of this horrible communication about who Jesus really is, he still believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You say, he kind of, he kind of adopts this mindset. Well, you know what? If He is the Son of God, then He is undefiled. I'm not worthy to have Him in my house. Instead of fighting back and saying, hey, I'm no different than you, He just says, there's one thing I can agree with. I believe He is who He says He is, and if He is who He says He is, I'm not worthy to have Him in my house. As a matter of fact, I'm not worthy to even go to Him in person. But then He says something that's absolutely amazing. He sends a servant to Jesus and he says in in verse number 7, he says, Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word and my servant shall be healed. Do you hear the faith in this man? Lord, because I believe in who you are, and by the way, Jesus never performed miracles to show what he could do. He always performed miracles to show who he was. And this man said, I believe you are who you say you are. And because I believe that, I don't need you to come into my house for you to work a miracle. Speak the Word and it'll be done. And this is is where it gets really good. Because the centurion now, as though he's shaking off what he's been told by the Jews, he relates to his own experience. And he says in the next verse, he says in verse number 8, For I also am a man set under authority. So so real quick, let's, let's get this out of the way. He says, I have authorities that are over me. He acknowledges to Jesus, I am a man under authority. But did y'all see this? He said, I also. You know what they you know what he's saying about Jesus? He's saying about Jesus, I believe that you're under authority and I'm under authority. But then he goes on to say, I have men under me. So let's put all this together here. Here's what the centurion says to Jesus. As a way of relating his faith to him, he says, I am a man of authority but I am a man under authority as well. And by the word also, he says, I believe you're in the same position that I am. Now some of you might disagree with that until you read the Bible. But Jesus was under authority in His earthly ministry. He was very, very clear about that. He did nothing of Himself. He came only to do the will of His Father. He came only to do what He was sent to do. I don't know if this, is, if this is really carrying into our hearts, but we need to think about this tonight. I'm talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, your Savior and mine. When He was here on this earth as a man, He considered Himself under authority. Same one I quoted about this morning in Philippians 2, who was equal with God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of a servant. 
And so in His earthly ministry, He was under the authority of God the Father, but He was still in authority over the affairs of mankind, and He proved that by the miracles that He performed. So Jesus was a man under authority, and He was a man of authority. And and so the, the centurion said, Lord, when I think about who You are, I can relate to this one thing, that I also, like you, are a man under authority, but I also have authority too. And to that is what Jesus responded, I've not found that great a faith, not in Israel. Now, here's what he's talking about. The Jewish elders of Capernaum. And we read this in the text. When the elders of the Jews from Capernaum came to Jesus, they said, Jesus, we're here on behalf of a centurion. He needs your help. And then they said this, and he's worthy of whatever you do for him. Like they get to decide that. Now we're just going to look. He's a Gentile, but we figure we owe him something. So we feel like, you know, whatever you do, he's worthy of it. Because after all, he built us a synagogue. Well, let's just get down to the brass tacks here. If he hadn't done anything for them, they weren't willing to acknowledge him as worthy of anything. Their understanding of what a good authority was, was what do you do for me? Their understanding of good government was, what do you do for me? What do you provide for me? Oh man, it's getting quiet in here. I'm I'm just trying to say, when we start gauging what is good authority or not based on what we get out of it and what authority does for us, we're missing the whole concept of what authority actually is. They said, now now look, we consider Him to be a good guy because He gives us stuff. I, I don't know if you're clued in here, we live in a nation right now that is judging authority whether it's good authority or bad authority, based upon what that, the, that government or that authority puts in people's pockets. Or what do you have for me? I'm telling you, we've come a long way from ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We've come a long way from that. And now we size up government uh, officials and who we're going to choose based upon uh, the biggest promises and what they're going to do for us, not for the good of the country, but what they're going to do for the good of the individual. And if you don't do enough for me, well, I don't think you're worthy of anything. I'm just saying this isn't new. This is the way the Jews thought. 
We talk about how much they hated the Romans and they did not like to be under Roman oppression. But if Rome had given them everything they wanted, they would have been fine. What's the alternative? Go back under God's authority again? They didn't like that. Come on, they didn't like that in the Old Testament when they came to Samuel and said, give us a king that we be like all the other nations. They didn't want a king who would be an authority. They wanted a king that would make them look good like the rest of the world. They wanted a king who would do things for them like other kings did for their subjects, except they had blinders on as to how oppressed some of those other nations were, and they just chose to see the good things and see what they wanted to, and so they wouldn't take no for an answer. And finally, God says, Samuel, I want you to protest solemnly, but go ahead and give them what they want. Give them the best looking guy in all the country. Pick out the guy that's head and shoulders above everybody else. All they have to do is wait a few years for a man after my own heart. But they don't want to wait. They don't want to be under my authority. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me. So give them what they want. But protest solemnly that they're not going to like it. And would you believe they didn't like it? But they couldn't do anything about it. Because now he's their king and he's crazy. I mean, it's hard to... It's hard to I, come on now. I, it's hard to lead a kingdom when your primary mission in life is chase some shepherd boy around the countryside. You're not really taking care of matters of state when you're so paranoid about who's going to take your position from you and who God said is the better man that He's going to give the kingdom to. And he went absolutely insane. Why? Because they didn't want God's authority in their life. They wanted somebody that would do something for them. They wanted to look like all the other nations. I'm just saying... We live in a day where people have lost sight of the purpose of authority. And let me remind you that God ordains authority. And all the powers that be are ordained of God. Don't forget about that. But we've lost sight of some things. We really have. I think possibly one of the things that the centurion shows here that was part of this great faith was that the centurion accepted his role as to where he fit in. So if I'm to give us a challenge tonight, it's going to sound something like this. Why are so many people struggling to just accept their role when it comes to fitting into God's authority structure where He has us? I promise you, throughout the course of your life, in different circumstances and at different times, you're going to be under different authorities. That changes. And throughout different circumstances in different time, you are going to have authority. You know, I remember when I was a, I remember when I was a teenager, just going, uh, man, a little bit older, a little bit older, 
get out of the house, be on my own, making my own decisions. And I grew up in a good godly home, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm, I'm, I'm get out of here, and I'll be making my own decisions and all this kind of stuff. And 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 I remember, <laughs> I remember in high school, just really looking forward to that, like it was going to be some great thing. But but young people, let me warn you about something. Responsibility and authority, biblically, always go hand in hand. So when you find yourself in a position of more authority, it's always because you have more responsibility. Because when you're the authority, you have to give account. Now that's biblical. And that's right. And there's some people that don't want to accept their place under authority because they've got this idea that nobody can tell them what to do. They're not going to have anybody, they're not going to have any dictators in their life telling them what to do, and they're not going to have anybody telling them how to behave and anything like that. My, my dad was a youth leader for quite some time and told me the true story about a young man who came to him as a youth leader in the church and told him he was done, he was sick of it, he was leaving church. He was going to run away from home because he was sick of people telling him what to do all the time. And dad literally said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to join the army. And my dad just laughed. You're sick of people telling you what to do. And you're going to go join the army. Good luck with that. I mean, they tell you when to get up, when to lay down, when to brush your teeth. I mean, everything. You're told what to do. And he had in his mind that that was his escape from the authority that he was under. But we live in a country today where nobody wants to be under authority. Kind of like where Israel was in the book of Judges when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We've just, we've just caught up with them. And that's where we're at. There's no, there's no moral compass. Yet. There's no absolute truth. There's your truth. There's my truth. Uh, you, can, you can believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. You can do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. And all this kind of stuff. Like, like we can live together as a society and, and not have some unity or some core beliefs uh, or, or things like that that are actually absolute truth and are right in all cases. And, and there's been such a casting away of absolute truth that if anybody stands up and, and authoritatively says, no, 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 this is right, this is true, then somebody says, who says? On whose authority? I don't know if you all have noticed, but our judicial system doesn't even operate on authority anymore. We don't even operate in this country on the authority of law anymore. If you want to come to me and ask me to prove that, I can prove it. But we just came through a year of people doing all kinds of things that were absolutely lawless and nothing was done. Why? Because there's a general casting off of authority. People don't want to accept their role under authority. And to compound it, we've got other people that are in authority or who have been given authority, and they don't want to accept their role of authority. 
They don't want the buck to stop there. They don't want to be responsible. And we wonder why we're in the mess that we're in. And I could go on tonight and I could preach about our country and all this kind of stuff, but here's what worries me more than the nation of the United States of America is that the same ideology that we see out there is creeping into Christian homes. The same ideology is showing up in living rooms and, 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 and showing up in, in our houses where there's this mindset that you can't tell me what to do and I'm not going to operate under any authority. And whether it's a, a, a husband-wife relationship, which by the way does have a God-given authority in it. And it works when we do it God's way. But it doesn't work when it gets out of whack. Or the authority structure of the parent and the child. Where, hang on just a second. Let, let me just keep going, then I'll come back and throw them all in the same bucket, alright? Or the church. And I'm talking about specifically congregational authority in the church. Pastoral authority in the church. These are biblical concepts. I'm not making them up. They're, they're Bible concepts. And when it works God's way, it really works. When it gets out of whack, it doesn't. Civil government. Um, Employer-employee relationships. That's a modern way of saying master and servant. We don't like those terms. I am not going to refer to my boss as my master. Well, you called him boss. You just did. He's the boss. She's the boss. They're the master. And there's a, there's a biblical way to work in that relationship that works when it's done biblically, when it's done right. But what we're seeing in homes and even Christian homes, what we're seeing in churches, and what we're seeing in husband-wife relationships, parent-child relationships, and right on down the list, is either subjects who are not subject to authority or authorities that won't grab hold of the responsibility of what God wants them to do and just doesn't lead. I'm saying there's men that don't lead in their marriages and in their wives in a spiritual and godly way. And it's bound to create problems. And there's parents who let their children lead themselves like they're going to know what the right thing to do is. And let me help you with that. They don't. Well, is this an experience issue? Well, that's part of it. And also just, uh, who's going to give a kid all the decisions? You know, I've, I've got a nine-year-old son. I love him. He's smart. He's very capable. I'm not riding in a car with him. I'm not going to do it. He falls down when he's walking sometimes. I can't imagine what he'd do behind the wheel of a car. You're saying you don't think he's responsible enough to drive a vehicle? Bingo. And yet sometimes there are parents that are letting kids make way more adult decisions than something like that 
instead of just being an authority like God wants us to in His Word, and saying this is the way it is in this home. And this is how it's supposed to be. And this is the direction that we're going. And this is how we're going to do things. Why? Because I'm the parent. Young people need parents. God said that. God set that up. God had kids be born to mom and dad because He knew they needed a mom and dad. And thank God for some godly single mothers and godly single fathers that do the best they can raising kids. But that doesn't negate the fact that God's plan for a child growing up was a mom and a dad who act as an authority in the home. And authority means they have the say. They have the power. What they say goes. Now, you don't get to go in their home and have a say because you don't have any authority there. The parents have the authority. This shows up in churches. This shows up in work situations and employments. This is showing up in the civil government. It's all over the place. And why? Because people don't have enough faith in God's plan to recognize that God created every one of us at different times and in different circumstances to be people under authority and of authority. Meaning, where we are under authority, let's be content to be there and follow. And where we're in authority, let's step up and take responsibility. Remembering, well, I just, people who take authority, they just take too much of it. I've heard this. It just goes to their head. And Hang on just a second. Anybody that has authority is still under authority. The husband's the head of the wife, but he's still under God. The parents are head of the children, but they're still under God. The pastor is the under-shepherd of the church, but they're still the chief shepherd that he has to answer to. The president is the president, but he doesn't he he has not taken over the throne room of heaven. <laughs> your boss is the boss at work, but he doesn't tell you what you do at your home. And he's still under the authority of God, and we have forgotten what it means to just surrender things to higher authority, and as much as we can biblically get in line and follow the authority that God has placed in front of our face, trusting that if our authority gets out of line, the one who's ahead of them will bring them back. You say, uh, what makes you think that I'm going to do that? I know, that takes some uh, faith. See, um, I talked about riding in a car with my son. I know people who refuse to ride with anybody because they have to be behind the wheel. If they're going, if, look, if we're going, I'm driving. I'm driving. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, here's what they're really saying. I'm not trusting anybody. I'm driving. Well, guess what? You don't get to do that with every 
decision you make in life because you're not always the authority. Sometimes you've got to follow. And following takes faith. Following takes trust. If you're in authority, you need to be the kind of authority that builds trust in your followers. But let me help those who are subject to authority. There's only one authority in our life we can completely trust that they're never going to let us down. Which means this, husbands are going to make mistakes sometimes. Dads and moms are going to make mistakes sometimes. Employers are going to make mistakes sometimes. Presidents might do one or two things right. I'm teasing. But a president's going to make mistakes sometimes. You name the authority, if it's a human authority, even though God's plan is for them to have the leadership, they're going to make mistakes. Why? Because they're imperfect. You say, I know, but it's hard when their imperfection affects my life. When their, when their imperfection ends up looking bad on me or hurting me, then I don't have to follow, right? I've read cover to cover and I don't see that as an out. What I do see is this. If you can't trust the one that you're following, you can trust the one who is over the one you're following. And He knows. I said God knows where you're at. And God knows the situation that you're in. And God's going to watch over you and bless you for staying in your place. And staying in line. I've preached this a lot, and I want to I want to carefully articulate this. If someone is being abused, I'm talking about literally abused. There are under authority means for letting somebody know about that and getting safety. Kids that are abused by authority, they need to let somebody that they trust know. So that authority through the proper channels can be investigated and answer for that abuse. Believe that wholeheartedly. A husband who's abusive to his wife, the wife needs to go through safe channels to make sure that that's looked into and that she is safe and taken care of and provided for. And there are channels in which to do that where you're not bucking authority you're just getting safety for yourself. I'm all for that. But so many times, there's people subject to authority, and it's not so much abuse as an authority who's just made a mistake. And I'm just going to tell you, anybody in authority does. And in those times, what we need to do is recognize Here's my place. But I can trust the one who's ultimately in charge of it all. And here's here's a centurion servant, and here's a centurion who only knows about the Lord from what he's heard, what he's been told. A very 
Jewish understanding. And yet Jesus says, haven't seen this kind of faith. Not in all the Jews have I ever seen a faith like this Gentile has. And He sends the servants back home. And when the servants get home, His servant that He was concerned about is healed. If we were to read Matthew chapter 8's account of this story, Jesus, Jesus looks at this centurion's service, servants and He said, the, he, I'm not quoting this directly, but He refers to the Jews' belief that one day in the kingdom there would be a great banquet. And Jesus said to the servants, in this great banquet that the Jews talk about, There's going to be many people that come from the east and come from the west and sit at the table. While people in Israel are going to be cast out. Why? Because God is able to work in the lives of those who are willing to trust Him. And if you don't have the right understanding of authority, you're not trusting. If you're bucking God-given authority, you're not trusting that He knows what He's doing and that His plan actually works. You know what can be a light and a testimony to people around you? Start having the right attitude and respect toward authority. Go into work and work as unto the Lord and not unto men. Doing what your boss asked you to do. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be a light in the darkness. Young people, you go home tonight, and yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Time to brush your teeth, yes, ma'am. Time to go to bed, yes, ma'am. You got to be up in the morning, school starts tomorrow. You got to be up and you got to, you got to head for school. Yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I'll be up. I'll be ready. I'll be ready to go. Don't know what that's all about. Sorry. You, you, I'll, I'll be ready to go. I'm telling you, young people, listen to me carefully. After you pick your mom and dad up off the floor from fainting, just let them know, I've just made up my mind I'm going to be under authority until God puts me in authority, and then I'm going to try to be the best authority that I can be with the help of God. There might be some wives in here tonight and you just can't understand why there's been so much friction in the relationship. And, and really, it's because he's just a knucklehead. Well, everybody knows that. Newsflash, we're all knuckleheads. All us men. Everybody's husband is a knucklehead. Am I right, Pastor? I'm just calling it like it is. We're, we're men are weird. It's just truth. Don't go thinking, I need a new one. That's not going to help you. What you need to do is trust God enough to put yourself in your place 
that God says you need to be. And let God be God and let your husband be the husband. And, and put the pressure on him to lead. Not like nagging pressure. I mean, I think there's something about it being better to live on the roof than with a contentious woman. But if a wife could just say, you know, it's right here in the Bible that the husband's head of the wife. And unfortunately, he says it more than once, like in several books of the Bible. So I'm just going to trust that God's big enough that His way works. So, I know I've tried to steamroll this thing now for quite some time, but I'm done. I'm going to trust God and I'm going to follow your leadership. And then look him right in the eye and say something like this. So if you lead us the wrong way, it's between you and God. And be serious about it. And then he'll go to the bathroom and throw up and then try to be a better husband. (laughs) Now I'm not, look, you're not threatening him or anything like that. But you might find that if he feels like there's a wife who's willing to follow his leadership, he might just be more willing to lead. I mean, God set up all these authority structures and they're all clearly defining His Word. Well, I'm not sure. Well, we got a whole week ahead of us. We're going to look at them. And they're all there. And, And they all produce a wonderful life. But here's what it requires. You're going to have to have faith that God really knows what He's doing. You're going to have to have faith that God's way really works in order to lay down trying to be the authority all the time and put yourself in the place where He wants you to be. If you you are in a position of authority, I beg you tonight, with God's help, Step up and take it. And if you're under authority, I beg you tonight with God's help, surrender and follow. And watch how God responds to your faith. It's a real thing. And it's awesome. Heavenly Father, please God, tonight, would You work in our hearts and lives. And Lord, I truly don't know all the circumstances that are going on in people's hearts and lives. I don't know the hearts of young people tonight toward parents or wives toward husbands, church members toward their pastor. Uh, Lord, um, even citizens toward the government. I, I don't know what all the attitude is, but Lord, I know You say in Your Word that the powers that be are ordained of You. And what we should do is pray for those that are in authority and follow to the best of our ability. So God, would You just help us to submit ourselves to that tonight. Lord, maybe there's somebody that needs to surrender to take the authority and the responsibility that they need to and step up. Lord, maybe You're working in somebody's heart tonight to step down and be a follower instead of trying to lead. 
And God, whatever it is, we just give You permission to speak to us and work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand with me for the invitation tonight? Instruments are playing. Some are already praying here at the altar. Still plenty of room. Still opportunity if God's spoken to your heart. Let's be like Christ tonight. Under authority and of authority. Let's just ask God to help us know our place and surrender to be right there where He wants us to be.